It's the show the establishment warned you about. That's right, it's the Dr. Tommy Show. Welcome back. We are glad to be back after being gone for a couple of weeks. <clears throat> we went to the Grand Canyon and Las Vegas and uh, rode on Allegiant Airways in the back road. Word of advice, unless you are less than five feet tall, do not do that. It is a hellish ride. It got us there. It got us back. We rode the same way on the way back. We had a little kid with us who was flying for the first time, so we wanted to be close to the bathroom, and we wanted to be close to, um, you know, didn't want to be around a bunch of people if things turned south. Turned out little child did fine. Olivia's four years old, never flown. She did fine. She had her iPad. But sitting in the back was, oh, it was a terrible situation. We got there and back. It was fun time. We uh, went to go see... Um, Robert Plant and Allison Krauss at the uh, uh, in Las Vegas. It was at the Pearl Theater, and it was a it was a great show. I have never seen Robert Plant live, unfortunately. I was a kid when Paige and Plant was around. I was in high school when they were touring, and then uh, when Plant has come by and is just on his solo tours, I've never been able to see him. So uh, I was able to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss together, and they did a, a really it was a great show. I saw some people online and they were saying, oh, they're terrible together. You know, they should have never. There's people that were made to sing together and these aren't these people. I, I think, what the hell were they talking about? Because they sound amazing live. And if you ever get a chance to see them, I would recommend doing that. Um, also, um, you know, Alison Krauss and uh, Robert Plant did their first album together in 2007. And they did another album together called Raise the Roof. Their first one was called Raising Sand in 2007. Then Raise the Roof came out just two years ago in 2021. And uh, it's, it's really um, something to look into if you haven't. If you're a, if you're a fan of either Alison Krauss or Robert Plant, I, I recommend them both, uh, both albums. Anyway, so that was a good time. We did gamble a little bit. Uh, the oldest child won $20. And then she lost $20, and that was the end of the gambling. And Olivia gambled as well. And uh, we were uh, confronted by the uh, a stern cocktail waitress telling me that I was breaking the law, allowing her to do that. But she played the slot machine, and she won a dollar, which she was very happy about. And she was upset because I had she had, I'd won, we had won $4 earlier. And I said, well, let's reinvest it and let's gamble it back. And then I, we put the certificate back in and then we promptly lost it. And she was pretty irritated that we did that. Um, she, 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 she wouldn't let me live it down the whole trip. Uh, Grand Canyon is something else. If you've never seen the Grand Canyon, it is almost unbelievable. Even when you're up on it, it doesn't seem real because it is so immense. I mean, it's, I, I gave someone an example. It's like going to New York City the same idea that it doesn't seem real. Like you can go to New York city and look, and no matter where you look, there's nothing but buildings, buildings for miles. And as far as the eye can see, there's buildings and concrete. Well, same is true of the grand Canyon, except it's the opposite. There's no buildings. All you can see is the grand Canyon for as long as you can look. And it does not seem real. And, uh, it was apparently cut that way by, the Colorado river. But why is that the only place in the world where a river did that? I don't know. So not sure what, how the grand Canyon was made that way. Uh, apparently it was the Colorado river did it, but it's amazing. And we also went to uh, Hoover dam. That was pretty cool. Uh, we did not get to go inside the dam and look at the actual power plant because you had to have a reservation. We had to wait two hours. So we didn't do that, but we walked around on the dam the dam itself is very, uh, the water levels is very low. You can actually see, they call it a bathtub ring around the dam. And it goes down very far, uh, probably, I think as they say, it's 80% low. And that's because the Colorado River is being used for water. And it's being used in all these different cities. And they've also had that and combined with a drought, apparently, for decades now or a decade and um, so the 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 uh, tribute or the water that goes to the dam is very low, and but it's still impressive. But it would be so much more impressive if the water was as high as it as it usually is. And like I said, if you look at pictures on the internet, go say Hoover Dam uh, before and after or something like that, or 
Hoover Dam water levels before and after, and you'll see the, the change, and it's pretty amazing. But the Hoover Dam was built in five years in uh, the early 30s. I believe it was like 31 to 36 or something of that nature. And um, I was telling Tracy, you know, this is amazing. It's a feat of engineering, which is amazing. But today, with our way we do things, you couldn't even get the permits to build the dam in five years, much less build the dam itself. I mean, look how long it took to rebuild the World Trade Center. It took, was, was it 15 years, maybe, to rebuild the World Trade Center? <clears throat> so that's what, that's what happens with progress. Progress in, in terms of government leads to worsening of your life. It's been a lot of stuff happened since the last two weeks we were on. We'll talk about some of the uh, Supreme Court rulings that have just come down. We're going to watch some videos, listen to some audio if you're listening, and then also talk something about the Bidens and do we really deserve the Bidens and uh, Planned Parenthood updates, all kinds of stuff. Um, so first off, the big news is the Supreme Court ruled yesterday that affirmative action is no longer allowed in colleges. So you're no longer allowed to use race or skin color is better yet skin color because there's no such thing as race race is an artificial construct especially in the age of uh, intermarriage and things of that nature where you know there's biracial people and race is a completely political social construct It's not a biological construct so basically let's put it down to what colleges previously prior to yesterday were using as a as a reason to admit people or not admit people uh, to college, young people looking to learn was what is your skin color? So this is clearly, it flies in the face of those who believe in equal rights, it flies in the face of those who believe the words of Martin Luther King, judge me by the content of my character, or my children hopefully judge them by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. So it flies in all the face of all of that, but yet it is still promoted as sacrosanct, especially to the liberals left. And so yesterday was this um, ruling that came down, and Clarence Thomas, God bless him, this guy is amazing. Uh, Clarence Thomas is um, associate justice. I wish he was the chief justice, honestly. Uh, when when um, the late William Rehnquist left the Supreme Court, he left it at, due to thyroid cancer, and. Uh, John Roberts was initially supposed to replace uh, the retiring um, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, but because William William Rehnquist was ill and left before Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, he was placed, instead of an associate justice, he was nominated to the Supreme Court to be the chief justice. And that's not never done, but usually, like when William Rehnquist became the chief justice, he was an associate justice. Ronald Reagan nominated him to become the chief justice. So he was promoted, essentially, from associate justice to chief justice. Well, John Roberts was plucked, not from obscurity, but he was plucked out of wherever he was. I think he was on the, the Bush Council, on the White House Council team. He had previously been a uh, clerk, I'm sure, and I'm sure he's qualified. But the, 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 the basic point was is he was nominated right off of the street, to be the Supreme Court Chief Justice. And I wish that instead of doing that, that George W. Bush had nominated Clarence Thomas to be the Supreme Court Justice and then allowed uh, Roberts then to become an Associate Justice because Judge Roberts, for for the most part, has been a relatively um, inconsequential Supreme Court Justice, let's say that. He is probably the least powerful, if you want to use those terms, Supreme Court Justice in, in recent history. Uh, when you think of things like the Rehnquist Court, the Warren Court, and things of that nature, when you're going to think of the Roberts Court, you're going to think of Roberts as the guy who's usually writing opinions for the dissent because he's usually being outvoted by conservatives because he is a swing he is a swing vote. So truly, he should have taken the place of Sandra Day O'Connor, who was a swing vote. She was a moderate. She was appointed by Ronald Reagan. She was a moderate. Sandra Day O'Connor, I believe, is still alive. Uh, anyway... She she was a moderate, and uh, he he should have replaced another moderate. He's a moderate. He should have replaced a moderate, if you want to think of it that way. He shouldn't have been a Supreme Court justice. But anyway, so Clarence Thomas wrote uh, a, 
and, and he joined with the majority on these on this judgment against affirmative action, but he wrote his own, you know, you're allowed to write your own opinion if you don't, if you want to say something a little bit different. So Clarence Thomas did. And some of the things he did was he just took apart uh, Katani Kintanji uh, Jackson's uh, dissent. Her dissent uh, basically said that we need to have affirmative action. Affirmative action is, you know, is necessary. And Justice Thomas just tore it apart. Here's what some of the things he said. This is from the Gateway Pundit. And it says, uh, <clears throat> this is courtesy of Fox News. Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. This is Justice Thomas writing. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences, challenges, and accomplishment. accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they chose to confront them. And their race is not to blame for everything, good or bad, that happens in their lives. A contrary myopic worldview based on individual skin color to the total exclusion of their personal choices is nothing short of racial determination. Determinism. He goes on. Justice Jackson then builds from her faulty premise to call for action, arguing that courts should defer to, quote, experts and allow institutions to discriminate on the basis of race. Now, this is not the first time she defers to experts because she herself does not know what a man or a woman is or a woman because she's not a biologist, she says. So make no mistake, her dissent is not a vanguard of the innocent and helpless. It is instead a call to empower privileged elites who will, quote, tell us what is required to level the playing field among castes and classifications that they alone can divine. Then, after siloing us into racial caste and pitting those castes against each other, the dissent somehow believes that we will be able at some point, at some undefined point, to, quote, march forward together into some utopian vision. This is a perfect distillation. Distillation and destruction at the same time of the leftist worldview of skin color as it relates to affirmative action. It says here, let me read it again. It is instead a call to empower privileged elites who will tell us what is required to level the playing field among caste and classifications that they alone can divine. So this is what the left wants for us. They want to preserve this 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 system where people like Katanji Brown Jackson and uh, uh, people at the NAACP and people at the DNC and the people at the um, you know people who run these colleges at Harvard University and everywhere else these uh, liberal think tanks they alone can be the ones to tell us when it is okay now to stop discriminating based on skin color. Because we have achieved equality, but we have to wait for them. And she defers to them. Like I said, as she defers to biologists in terming what a female is, she would like us to continue to defer to these experts. And, and Justice Thomas is having nothing of it, nothing of this. It says, unsurprisingly, this tried and failed system defines both law and reason. Start with the obvious. If social reorganization in the name of equality may be justified by the mere fact of statistical disparities among racial groups, then that reorganization must continue, continue until these disparities are fully eliminated, regardless of the reasons for the disparities and the cost of eliminations. If blacks fail a test at a higher rate than white counterparts, regardless of whether the reason for the disparity has anything to do at all with race, the only solution will be race-focused measures. If those measures were to result in blacks failing at yet higher rates, the only solution would be the double down. And that's exactly what they do. I'm going to continue reading. In such a system, it would not matter how many innocents suffer race-based injuries. All that would matter is reaching the race-based goal. Worse, the classification that Justice Jackson draws are themselves race-based stereotypes. She focuses on two hypothetical applicants. John and James competing for UN's admission to UNC. UNC and Harvard were the two universities that were sued uh, for racial discrimination. John is a white seventh generation legacy at the school, while James is black and would be the first in his family to attend UNC. Justice Jackson argues that race conscious admission programs are necessary to adequately compare the two justice or two applicants. As an initial matter, it is not clear why James race is a f only factor that would encourage UNC to admit him. His status as a first-generation college applicant seems to contextualize his application. But setting that aside, 
Why is it that John should be judged based on the actions of his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents? And what would Justice Jackson say to John when deeming him not worthy of admission? Something statist- some statistically significant number of white people had advantages in, colleges in, in college admissions seven generations ago, and you have inherited their incurable sin? And then uh, someone right here is says, this is why the left hates him. This was on the comfortably smug on Twitter. This is exactly why. He is the most dangerous person to the left, I think, today in politics, Clarence Thomas, because unlike politicians who otherwise cannot state what he states, he can state it from a point that is uh, hard to uh, dispel because he is speaking as a black man who has achieved despite racism. If you look at his, um, if you watch his documentary, <clears throat> you know, just, uh, justice Thomas did not come from the, uh, background that, for instance, Michelle Obama and Barack Obama did. He didn't have, uh, admission to these schools just for the fact that he was in Michelle Obama's case, the brother, or sorry, the sister of, a basketball player who they had admitted to Princeton, Craig Robinson, or in, or in Barack Obama's case, we don't know how he got into college because we don't have any access to his medical, his uh, academic records at all. But he did get into all these fancy schools, and he lived in a privileged lifestyle. Uh, you know, they tried to make it seem like he came up from the ghetto. The guy was born and raised on the hard streets of Hawaii. His mother was a um, a bank executive, I believe. So. <clears throat> but Clarence Thomas came up the hard way. If you re- if you see his, his uh, documentary, he faced a lot of problems with racism and things of that nature, but he overcame all that. So he is able to speak about racism in a way that is, um, you know, he, they can't attack him, even though they try, by saying that he doesn't understand what he's talking about because he understands exactly what he's talking about. It's the same with Tim Scott. You know, Tim Scott... Uh, came in the crosshairs of Barack Obama recently because he was saying things about racism that Barack Obama didn't think were true. And basically Barack Obama thinks along the same lines of Kajanji Brown Jackson, that racism is, is here to stay and racism. And unless we have the right people in government to kind of shepherd people through, then racism is just going to continue to keep the black people down. And only through the grace of good grace of government can black people succeed. But like I said, Clarence Thomas is, if they had their wish of destroying anybody, you think they want to get rid of Donald Trump? No, they want to get, if they could get rid of Clarence Thomas, they would get rid of Clarence Thomas much quicker than Donald Trump. Um, so here's some, this is a clip of Clarence Thomas. Just, just is another reason why I wish he was on the Supreme Court as the Chief Justice. This guy is great. Um, this is, he was talking to... Um, <clears throat> C-SPAN. This is on C-SPAN. He's talking to a racial inequality and judicial philosophy. He was talking to some people in the audience, and this is what he says. Goes after the argument, but you are right. We are to conduct ourselves better than they conduct themselves. One of the things I say in response to the media is when they talk about, especially early on, about the way I did my job, I said, I will absolutely leave the court when I do my job as poorly as you do yours. <laughs> and that was meant as a compliment, really. <laughs> Listen to this laugh. I think we've neglected this side of the room. As well. Oh, gosh. All the way over here, yes. <laughs> it really is good to be me. It really is. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful laugh? And that's, that's him laughing in the face of people like Katanji Brown-Jackson today and yesterday when the Supreme court has stricken down the race based, uh, discriminatory practices of universities and colleges in America. Now they, they are going to continue. They say to practice racism. Uh, they don't say that what they said is they're going to, they're not going to change their philosophy. And what they've done now is they're going to say, well, you know, applicants can say in their application, what, what they've overcome, and it has to do with race, and you know, there's a backdoor way to basically discriminate still. But officially, at least, now it is illegal to discriminate based on skin color uh, against college applicants. And this is a, one of the things that we have to look for as a victory in this onward march toward tyranny and totalitarianism that we find ourselves in.
as Walter Williams said before, uh, do we find ourselves marching small steps at a time towards more freedom or towards more tyranny? And the answer is more towards more tyranny. But we have to take our victories when we can get them, and we have to uh, celebrate them when we can. Uh, so the other thing the Supreme Court just did, this just came in. <clears throat> this is from Gateway Pundit. It says, just in, the Supreme Court rules in favor of Christian web designer who doesn't want to make LGBTQ wedding sites. It says the uh, Supreme Court on Friday ruled in favor of a Colorado-based Christian web designer who doesn't want to make LGBTQ wedding sites. The high court, the high court ruled 6-3 in favor of Lori Smith, a graphic artist who doesn't want to design wedding sites for same-sex couples. The conservative justices argued the web designer has freedom of speech to choose which website she designs during oral arguments last year. On Friday, the conservative majority ruled in favor of the web designer. So again, 6-3. <clears throat> this means that the swing swing vote of Justice Roberts, Chief Justice, who was a swing vote on the court, uh, he ruled uh, with the conservatives this time instead of the liberals. Neil Gorsuch wrote, The First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. And then here's uh, Justice Sotomayor. Today, the court, for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Today, the court. OK, so the uh, protected class in this case is people who are uh, apparently uh, marrying other people who have the same sex. That is, in her mind, a protected class. And you as a citizen of the United States do not have the ability to not agree with what they do. And then also as a result of not agreeing, not agree to do services for them. Now, if it was the other shoe on the foot and this was an LGBTQ person or someone who designed LGBTQ wedding sites, if there was such a thing, what is the odds then that justice Sotomayor would also be, upset if a heterosexual couple wanted them to then design a heterosexual wedding site or a traditional marriage wedding site for them. If that person was denied because this person's click or this person's niche was LGBTQ wedding sites, which there may be that person out there. I'm sure there is. And I, as a heterosexual wanted to have my uh, traditional marriage wedding site designed by this person whose niche is not that would justice Sotomayor be as upset about that? And my guess is no, my guess is no, because I am not a protected class. You see, see protected class. If you look at this is, is exactly what it says. Protected classes are people who are for lack of a better uh, explanation uh, in the hierarchy of victims. Let's put it that way. So they're protected by who? They're protected class by the government. And the government, in order to protect someone, you have to be in danger. And so people who are in danger, uh, according to the left, are people of color, uh, people who are uh, not heterosexual, people who are not Christian, uh, certainly people who are um, transgender now are the top of the uh, top of the pyramid in terms of protection. The most virtuous among us is the one who is the most uh, grievously injured by society. And those, according to the left, who are most grievously injured by society today are the transgender community. So the transgender community is the tippity top of the pyramid of victimhood, according to the left. And they are the ones that are the most protected class. But down from that, you have all kinds of protected classes. And it filters on down. At some level, there are protected classes who are white people, for instance. But... The top of the pyramid, like I said, is transgenders, transgender individuals. And then probably after that, some racial minority group. And then after that, probably uh, homosexuals. And then after that, go down the pyramid. And then at some point you get the teachers unions, they're protected. And then uh, SCIU, uh, Service Employees International Union, they're protected too. But it's all a part of... And she said it per perfectly. They're a protectionist. I mean, they're, they run a protection racket. The government, the left, which is the same thing. The government, the left is the government. Government people are the left. 
The permanent bureaucracy is the left. So the left, as it is formed today, is is the government of technocrats, the government of elites. Uh, they're the group of uh, people who are, going, like uh, Justice Thomas said earlier, they're the ones who are going to tell us when it's time to march on together in unity because we have reached racial equality. But until then, not until the elites have said so. So that is all the left. And they are in the protection business. And you have to be part of their group if you want. It's just like the mafia. It's like, you know, they walk in and say, this is a nice shop. And it would be a shame if something bad happened to it. Maybe you should uh, join our uh, neighborhood protection program. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if I need that. I think you do need that. Because if you don't, you're outside of the uh, party. And in this case, the party is the party of the left. And so Sandra, or I'm sorry, Justice Sotomayor is saying this is a protected class. Really, the protected class by the Constitution are individuals. That's if you want to be really, uh, you know, specific about it. If you're, let's say you're on the Supreme Court and your job is to talk about the Constitution or be, be knowledgeable about the Constitution. Really, the Constitution protects the individual first and foremost. That is the most important person or most important thing that the Constitution protects, the individual. After that, the most important thing the Constitution protects is the states, are the states. Nowhere in the Constitution does the, uh, the government, the federal government, get priority over individuals or states except in the enumerated powers. But what we've done now is we've changed it around to where the Constitution is basically this blanket document that grants powers to the federal government to then, therefore, grant rights to people. And then they are the uh, protector of those rights through whatever means they just determine necessary. So if they determine that your right to uh, the general welfare is uh, including the right to health care, then now they can pass something called Obamacare, and now you can force your neighbor to pay for your health care or your health insurance better. Not health care, health insurance. And so that's what the, the left is trying to do, is try to make this constitution to where it was something that limited the federal government and made the uh, the, the primacy of the individual, the primacy of the states, they made, made, made them the most important in the, in the, uh, in the political organization. And now it's turned on its head to where it's the elites that are the most important because the elites are the ones that, like Thomas said, uh, Clarence Thomas said, to decide, you know, when things are right. You know, the elites have to decide when, when is it okay that people pay for their own health insurance? And when the elites have to decide when is it okay for people not to have to pay uh, penalties for not buying the health insurance. The elites have to decide when or when you, when you get a vaccine or when you don't get a vaccine. The elites decide if you are able to not get the vaccine and keep your job. The elites decide if they can change the definition of the vaccine to mean something that it is not. You know, how many times have you had a polio vaccine in your life? Most of us have had polio vaccine, what, three or four times? And uh, how long is your polio good for? I don't know. I, I've never had my polio titers done, but I assume it's it probably probably still good, right? Did you know that everyone who has had a vaccination against coronavirus, the quote unquote native strain or the wild strain, those vaccines aren't even available anymore? So what does that tell you? Those quote unquote vaccines were completely useless after two years. So all of that turmoil and everything that the elites put us through over these vaccines, all of that stuff was all for naught because those vaccines are no longer even used, which tells me that they're they're worthless. So it tells me that if you had that vaccine it, today, if you run into a coronavirus, it doesn't help you at all. And so can you say that about any other vaccine except for the flu shot, which we know year after year after year, you have to get a new one, which again is why it's not a vaccine, a true vaccine. Anyway, Supreme Court, Supreme Court updates. So twice in uh, now this is add this to the uh, uh, Roe versus Wade overturned last year, which just there was a year anniversary of it recently. And you can see how, like I said, you have to take your wins when you can get them. And slowly we're marching towards tyranny, but also slowly we are chipping away at some of these things that are held sacrosanct by the left. I can't think of anything more sacrosanct to the left than abortion. Abortion is the holy sacrament of the left. And that is no longer a federal or a constitutional right. 
is up to the states now. And so now we have that and affirmative action. In my lifetime, I would like to see where the welfare state is rolled back. To me, there is nothing more unfair than the welfare state. And when I say that, what do I mean? The welfare state takes money from one group of people and gives it to another. And so what we have here is a a welfare state that tells people that they are, uh, they are due things from somebody who, um, they are due, they are due goods from someone because of just their mere existence. And the welfare state to me is the most egregious, uh, abuse of rights there is because what the welfare state does is it legalizes theft. And Walter Williams had this good analogy. He said, there's these three people walking around and they're walking across this, um, street and, um, they're walking across the street and they see this poor woman, she's sleeping on a grate. And the one guy says, uh, look at this. This is terrible. This poor woman's sleeping on a grate. And, uh, he says, uh, here turns to the guy. He says, give me $20. I'm going to give it to her. And the guy says, no, yeah, that's not right. He's like, no, this is, this poor woman needs it. And here, give me the $20. When the actual case is, is that if he wanted to, he could take it from his own pocket, but that's not what the welfare state does. The welfare state takes from others and gives it to other people, takes from some and gives it to other people without their consent. And that's called theft. And, uh, I'm not to say that I am not in favor of helping people in need. Of course, that is not the case. But what the welfare state does is it takes away, it competes with private industry, private charity for uh, the, the needs of people who are in poverty. And at the same time, it corrupts that system whereby the people who need that help become uh, dependent on the government. And the welfare state becomes a cycle of poverty. The welfare state ensures poverty and many times. Sure, there are people that go on to welfare and they get off of welfare and, 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 they, and they become successful. Um, there's many cases of that. But what's more oftentimes the case is that people get involved in this cycle of poverty where they never think that it's unusual that they don't buy their groceries ever. They always use food stamps or WIC or something else to buy their groceries. And it never occurs to them that they should buy their own groceries. And that is... That is, uh, that's something that on two levels is bad. One level is bad because it, it completely destroys the industriousness of that person who's getting the free stuff. On the other level, it's bad because it takes from the person that's standing right behind them, takes from their paycheck and gives it to them without their consent. So that's theft. And you just add, that's one of the welfare state, you know, uh, goodies, you know, there's groups of people who, uh, for generationally have never paid a mortgage. They have always lived in uh, government housing. And you may say, well, you know, they're poor. What are you going to do? Kick them out? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is why are they generationally in poor? Uh, Why are they generationally in government housing? Is it not the government that causes that? The government allows that? The government basically inculcates that into their culture where they are, like I said, they are wards of the state generationally. Same with healthcare. How many people think when they go to the doctor that they should never pay for their medical care? There are people out there who have never paid and never will pay for their own medical care. And some of those people are poor. And some of those people aren't poor by the materialistic definition of poor. A lot of those people have a lot of money, actually. They have a lot of excess money because they don't pay for housing. They don't pay for medical care. They don't pay for their food. And then they go on Disney cruises. And then they buy fancy gadgets and they do all these things because they have that extra money. So the point of it is, is the welfare state is really, when you break it down, is a way of conveying income from one group of citizens to corporations through another group of citizens. So Apple, for instance, would not sell nearly as many iPhones if they had to get that iPhone money directly from everybody who buys an iPhone. Because There are some people who buy iPhones on their own. There are a lot of other people. There are a lot of people. I don't know how many, but there are a lot of people who buy iPhones with the excess money they have because they don't pay for health care. They don't pay for their doctors. They don't pay for their food. They don't pay for their housing. And so they have a lot of excess money. I wrote a blog about this 10 years ago. Now it was in, uh, 
You can find it on our website. Um, and it's it says that Walmart in one year, I believe it was 2013, fully 25% of all EBT money was spent at Walmart. Now, that's not one store. I'm saying of all of the EBT money in the, in the United States, this is uh, food stamps, electronic benefits transfer, it's called. They electronically transfer benefits from your bank account to somebody else's and then into Walmart. That money, 13% of it nationwide was spent at a Walmart. That is the real truth of the welfare state. The welfare state is to benefit elites using people as couriers for money and not wondering what happens to those people in the meantime, not wondering if they stay generationally poor because their industriousness has been removed because they know that they're going to be given whatever they want. They will not live a great life, but they will live a a subsistence type of lifestyle that is good enough. And if they don't want to go beyond that, then it's just going to be okay. They're going to be taken care of. That's the other thing that I wish would be addressed in my lifetime. The reform of the welfare state for the good of the people on welfare and for the people who are unfairly have their money and income and property removed from them to give to other people. That's what I wish. Oh, speaking of removing things, this is Governor DeSantis. This is on the blaze. Governor DeSantis supports abolishing several government agencies. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is currently running for president, has indicated he would support abolishing the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, the Internal Revenue Service, and the Department of Commerce. He named the four government entities after Fox News' Martha McCallum asked him if he would support nixing any agencies. This is is one of those things where this is is probably not going to happen. But what this does is this opens up the conversation about do we need these agencies? And I would throw the EPA in there. I'd be at the top of the list, actually, the EPA. Because the EPA, in addition to uh, the uh, unnecessariness of it, they are one of the leading abusers of constitutional, unconstitutional powers. The EPA, Health and Human Services, through Obamacare, exert all of these extra constitutional powers that are not granted to them and that the gut that the Congress has ceded to these agencies, these uh, administrative state executive branch, unelected bureaucrats who are therefore able to ruin uh, all kinds of things through their regulations, whether it be, you know, farming, whether it be whatever the case is, just increase regulation, increase the cost of doing business. And in the terms of health and human services, just make healthcare a complete shit show. That's, one of the, those are the other two. He doesn't say health and human services here, but I would, I would eliminate them too. Like I said, there's enumerated powers in the constitution. If we just, it's not hard. It's not like we have to go back and figure it out. These guys are smart. They figured it out. They're just not a bunch of dusty haired, uh, wearing wigs, uh, plantation, uh, slave owners that got together and, you know, hatched out some racist articles or some racist constitution to keep black people, enslaved and then enriched themselves. That's what Kataji Brown Jackson, those what those type of people think. No, the constitution actually has some very solid thinking behind it. They thought a lot. They went back to the Roman Republic. They went through, uh, you know, all of these different types of governments. They read, they were educated people, unlike today, like Joe Biden, which we'll get to re- here shortly, but th- th- they were smart people. So if we just got back to some of the basics, some of the very basic stuff that the Constitution says the government, the federal government should do, we'd be doing so much better. And so he says he's not going to be able to do that. He says, uh, uh, he said he also said the legislature would not support a move. He also said if the legislature would not support such a move, he would utilize the agencies to counter, quote, woke ideology and, quote, leftism, such as using by using the Department of Education to, quote, reverse all the transgender sports stuff. Now, this is what he did in Florida, and I think that's true as he would do that himself. And this is the thing about DeSantis. DeSantis is not afraid of, he and is, you know, people like to say, oh, he's, a, he's trying to be a mini Trump, blah, blah, blah. He actually is kind of like a mini Trump. And that's not to say anything disparaging about Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has balls, and Ron DeSantis is not afraid. 
and people flock to that. People, people meaning voters, people who believe in freedom, they recognize someone who's strong. They recognize someone who's not afraid. That's why a person like Asa Hutchinson, for God's sakes, who saved his time and gas and uh, saved the money he spends on getting his uh, you know, shirts pressed or whatever to go on any of these, um, any of these talk shows. To talk about. Asa Hutchinson is not going to get anywhere near nomination because no one thinks of Asa Hutchinson as being unafraid. People think of Asa Hutchinson the way, the same way that people would think of Republicans of the past. One thing for Donald Trump is I think he changed forever the meaning of what it means to be a Republican candidate for president. I don't think there will be any time in the near future where someone like Mitt Romney or John McCain will get within sniffing distance of the presidential nomination, even though they were the ones that were chosen in the past. Because voters have seen what it is like to have someone who's not afraid in Donald Trump. And they see what can happen for them, what victories they can get if they support someone like that. And you got a guy like Asa Hutchinson. This guy, I mean, this guy is 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 a basically a... Uh, a poor carbon copy of a Mitt Romney or John McCain. I mean, Asa Hutchinson is a household name only in his household. And so, but you get a guy like DeSantis and he's not afraid to talk about stuff like this, talk about wokeism. And that's one of the things these uh, other Republicans are attacking him for. These other people who are running, you know, DeSantis, they say is the Trump is widening the lead in the polls and so much. I don't care about that. DeSantis may not win the nomination. If he doesn't, that'll be good for us in Florida because we'll get him for another two more years of the governor. Like I said, the worst case scenario for a DeSantis supporter is DeSantis wins the presidency. That's really the worst case scenario. Otherwise, he's going to be our governor for till 2026. But what I like about DeSantis is he brings that argument. He brings that, uh, like I said before, culture wars are important. And culture wars is what we just won with this... Um, Affirmative action. You know, some of these flim flam, milk toast, limp wristed Republicans would say, we can't go near affirmative action. We certainly can't go near abortion. That's settled law. You know, people like Mitt Romney, you know, people like John McCain, they would never have gone near anything like that because that's settled law. They don't want to, they, they want to continue to get, you know, nice write ups in the New York Times, even, even George W. Bush. But you have to have someone who doesn't give a shit about being, uh, called a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or a bigot or doesn't care about the poor or doesn't care about the elderly. Not because they don't care about those people, because they don't give a shit what those people who say that. They don't care what they say. They don't care. And people recognize strength. People recognize someone who's not afraid. And someone like Ron DeSantis is not afraid. Ron, Donald Trump's not afraid. People know that. And I think people will respond to that. So like I said, whether or not he gets a nomination doesn't matter. It's important to have someone like that fighting. Mm. You know, I don't know what we did as a nation to get the Bidens, but we got them. And I don't think we deserve them. I honestly don't. This is a Hunter Biden has just won this court battle against his uh, former lover, and he has this daughter named Navy Joan. This is from Breitbart. It says, Hunter Biden's estranged daughter will no longer use his surname, poor child support agreement. Hunter Biden's estranged daughter, Navy Joan, will reportedly no longer be using his surname as part of a child support settlement with his former lover, London Roberts. It says, the New York Post, this is per the Daily Mail. A New York Post, look, so this is Breitbart per the Daily Mail, and the Daily Mail is saying, a New York Post report. So here we go. A New York Post report published last week suggests that Roberts, 32, had signed a deal agreeing to slash the $20,000 a month Hunter pays to $5,000 after he pleaded financial hardship. And it says here, uh, her, her Roberts' attorney says there's no deal has been reached, blah, blah, blah. It says... Um, that in addition to that, so he, he's the little child can't use the Biden name anymore. So whatever doors that opens for her, 
And the the child support payments have been reduced to five thousand dollars a month because Hunter Biden, despite being able to sell his finger paintings for uh, seventy five dollars per print, not the actual painting, but per print, he 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 can't afford to uh, pay the child support that he was paying before. And it says here, allegedly, neither Hunter Biden nor President Joe Biden has met Navy Joan at this point. As Breitbart News, or Breitbart News reported last year, Joe Biden reportedly did not provide security for his granddaughter after Roberts began sounding an alarm in the wake of receiving multiple threats from her ex-fiance, cage fighter Princeton Foster. Roberts attorney Clinton Lancaster told the New York Post that the Bidens have gone out of their way to deliberately ignore Navy Joan. It's not lost on anybody that Jill, Roden, Jill Biden wrote a children's book and dedicated it to her grandchildren. She could have kept all of that out, but she named every child except Navy. They hung stockings for the dog at the Christmas, but not for Navy. That's one of the saddest things. What did we do to deserve this dirtbag family? This crackhead son, this uh, this 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 president who's 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 never worked a day in his life outside of government, who by all accounts it seems to be as corrupt, taking bribes. IRS whistleblowers say so. Uh, what did we do to deserve these people? I mean, honest to God. What did we do? And you have to think about it, too. If you're listening and you're going to consider voting for Joe Biden, just think about this. If you think that Donald Trump is a bad guy, what is it about Joe Biden that you think is not bad? Honestly, I mean, the things that they have accused Donald Trump of doing and have not been able to find anything that the most egregious thing that have they found so far outside of the civil case, which is another whole story with the, uh, the author I'm talking about criminal cases right now. They're saying that Donald Trump had some documents he shouldn't have had, but look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden has bragged about withholding aid to Ukrainians until they would do what he wanted to do in terms of firing this prosecutor, this IRS whistleblower, says that Joe Biden, uh, through his son, has received bribe money. We have, we have uh, Hunter Biden's, his words in his WhatsApp um, transcripts, shaking down communist, uh, communist Party members who he is doing business with, saying that if you don't give us the money, basically Joe Biden's going to do bad things through all of his contacts in the, in the Washington, D.C., and so we have these people, and here we are, this this family that, you know, his daughter in her diary, purport, purported diary, which no one has denied. Actually, there's some people in jail now because they had her diary, and yet uh, this, this daughter of uh, Joe Biden's daughter was saying in this diary that Joe Biden, uh, you know, showered with her when she was 12 years old, and that she used to stay up late at night hoping that he would not be around so that when she showered, he wouldn't get in the shower with her. I mean, who are these people? I mean, this is disgusting stuff. And the pictures that you see on Joe Hunter Biden's laptop, I mean, there's some really disgusting things that are going on. And he didn't just learn that on his own. I don't think. It's just, and then Joe Biden was a sniffing of the little girls. It's just, what did we do to deserve the Bidens is my point. Here we are. Joe Biden, purported president of the United States, 81 million votes, most popular president in history. Check this guy out. This is uncomfortable to watch. If you're watching this, this is uncomfortable to watch. This is Joe Biden walking off an MSNBC set while they're still on air. If you're listening, just hear the audio. Here it is. And by the way, remember, I said we could still do bipartisan things. They said they couldn't do it. We didn't get a lot, but we got a lot of bipartisan things. And done. now they're running on your bipartisan account. Do you hear her, Nicole Wallace? And now they're running on your bipartisan. And look at her face. Ugh. It's just, ugh. Just that voice. Just listen again. Here we go. Bipartisan things. And done. now they're running on your bipartisan And now they're running on your bipartisan. Look at her smiling. Oh, God. It makes me want to vomit. I think that's a sign. Like I said, I'm going to be down there. Congratulations. <laughs> I said I'd be a president for every American, whether they voted for me or not. Okay, well, let's rewind that. I think that's a sign. Like I said, I'm going to be down there. Congratulations. <laughs> I said I'd be a president for every American, whether they voted for me or not. That's a sign. Like I said, I'm going to be down there. Congratulations. <laughs> 
<laughs> I said I'd be a president for every American, whether they voted for me or not. He said, I said I'd be a president for every American, whether they voted for me or not. Well, and, and the ones that didn't vote for your bills, but run on them. them That's too. right. <laughs> eh, whatever she said, gaggling. Now watch this. Now Joe Biden, he's like, interview's over. Okay, watch this. Mr. President, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very oh, much. I appreciate it's great it. to have you. It's thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. Don't go anywhere. It's a very exciting day Isn't around that weird? here. Um, we'll have he just wandered off the analysis set. analysis to everything we just heard from the president. We'll be back after a short break. So Joe Biden's sitting there, and uh, Nicole Wallace is, you know, doing her usual stick where she's kissing his ass, laughing at all of his stupid, uh, unintelligible quotes and whatever he's saying, and and then he just gets up and leaves. That's a bizarre thing. I mean, they used to make fun of Trump, or they said that Trump had a stroke because he used two hands to hold a cup. Remember that? And then he went down the steps and he didn't hold the railing or he held the railing or something of that nature. This guy just wandered off the set, just gone. And we're supposed to believe, oh, everything's good. Everything's good. Oh, here's Joe Biden again. This is uh, another Joe Biden clip. Here we are. And if you can see the camera, they can see you. And uh, it's the least consequential part of this whole meeting for you. I promise. <laughs> All right. God save the queen, man. God save the queen, man. That's our president. What did we deserve? Man? Here he's wondering where the hell is he supposed to go. What did we deserve? How did we deserve to get these people? God save the United States, really. A little Planned Parenthood update. This is a, a video that was done to... Uh, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just play. This is, a, this is from Focus on the Family, and it's called It's a Baby is the name of the video. If you can't watch it at home, just listen. Well? It's positive. We're having a fetus. Having a fetus? We're having a fetus. <laughs> and here we are. Would you look at that? Hi, fetus. Hi, fetus. Hey, got names yet? For the fetus? We've got a few we like. Focus on the family. Would like to remind you that no matter where you are on your pregnancy journey... It's almost here. Keep pushing. Your fetus is doing great. <laughs> Call it what you want. But the truth does not change. You want to feel the fetus kick? Um, it's a baby. <laughs> it's still a baby. That's funny. That's great. That's, that's using them... Uh, that's really smart, actually. And you know what's really smart about that, too, is they use, if you, if you aren't watching this, not one to push skin colors at all, but the fact of the matter is, is uh, Planned Parenthood really focuses on minority neighborhoods because that's where they know they get a lot of their uh, clients from. And they abort much more than the uh, percentage of the population. They, they abort many more black babies than they do white babies. And, and this is this video. If you're not able to see it, if you're just listening, there's a lot of black actors in this video. The woman who's having a baby where she goes, hi, fetus. She touches the screen, which nobody says because that's stupid. Like, like it's stupid to say it's just a fetus. It's just a fetus. We're just scraping out. We're sucking out fetus parts. This is a, you know, whatever the case is, we're, we're, we're injecting a fetus's heart. That's not a baby. That's a fetus's heart. We're stopping right now before we scrape it out when you were doing abortion. Uh, so they, they have a black family, a black couple here getting the uh, ultrasound where she goes, hi fetus. And then again here, they're running. There's a white guy <clears throat> and there's a black guy. And then there's a, a white woman uh, says fetus on board on her shirt. Instead it's a baby on board. And then here's a doctor delivering the baby. He says, we're going to have a fetus. He's about to have a fetus. He's about to deliver a fetus. And that's a white couple and a black guy. And like I said, I don't like to focus a lot on, on, on color, but in this case, I think it's, it's smart for them to do this because so many black neighborhoods are preyed upon by Planned Parenthood and, and they have all of these, uh, abortion centers nestled inside the minority neighborhoods on purpose. Like I said, black children are aborted much more likelihood of being aborted than a white child uh, statistically and the narrator it sounds like is a black woman so 
I think that's a great um, ad. And it's focused on the family, and it's called It's a Baby. So, as we know, Supreme Court has stricken down uh, Roe v. Wade. It says here, this is from the Associated Press, uh, courtesy of Breitbart. This just says, rage giving prom- prompted by the end of Roe v. Wade has dropped off, abortion access groups say. It says, the windfall of donations that abortion access groups received following Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade one year ago hasn't lasted. The, quote, raged giving did not last. Abortion access groups who received windfall donations uh, say those emergency grants have ended and individuals and foundations giving ha- individual and foundation giving has dropped off. After the Dobbs decision, some major funders of abortion access have also ended or shifted funding from organizations working in states where abortion is now banned, says Na Amasha Hammond, Hammond, Senior Director of Grant Making with Groundswell Fund, which funds grassroots uh, groups organizing for reproductive justice. All right. You like those wordings here? Let me read that again. This is from the Associated Press. Uh, after the Dobbs decision, some major funders of abortion access have ended or shifted funding from organizations working in states where abortion is now banned, says Na Amasha Hammond, senior director of grant making with Groundswell Fund, which funds grassroots groups organizing for reproductive justice. That means abortion groups, groups that pay for women to have abortions or help people have abortions. Reproductive justice, though. Uh, women's health and foster care nonprofits who expected increased demand in areas where access to abortion has been eliminated or restricted say they have also they say also they haven't seen increased support. Uh-huh. It says here, Holly Holly Calvacina Holly Calvacina said her experience as director of development at the Reproductive Health Clinic Choices in Memphis, Tennessee, might provide an explanation. Like many working in the reproductive rights sector, okay, that's abortion. Like many of the people who work in the sector uh, removing babies from uh, uteruses at different stages of development, Cavalcina said she tried to prepare for the increase in need even before a draft of the Supreme Court decision was leaked in May last year. While some funders saw the writing on the wall and stepped up support, others wanted to wait and see. I think that kind of speaks to a fundamental issue with philanthropy and responding to an emergent crisis. Philanthropy moves really slowly and human rights crises unfold quickly. The crisis of born babies, the crisis of babies developing without being sucked out or aspirated, or if they live long enough, dismembered and pulled out piece by piece. God, what a crisis. So the rage giving has dropped off. Good. This is from Planned. This is from uh, Daily Signal. Okay, Planned Parenthood quote: Transgender identifying kids are cash cows. Journalist Abigail Schreier. This is from February of 2021. This is from two years ago. So listen, this is two years ago. Imagine what's changed since then. Okay, because now abortion uh, Roe v. Wade is no longer constitutional right. Um, due to Roe v. Wade being overturned. All right. Journalist Abigail Schreier recently shed light on Planned Parenthood's increasing involvement in what some call, quote, transgender activism or the transgender revolution. In a post on her Substack account, Schreier describes reading a Twitter thread from a former Planned Parenthood employee, a person she later interviewed. In both thread and the interview, the former employee highlighted the abortion giant's increasing involvement in prescribing hormone treatments to patients. Schreier, a freelance writer and author of Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, describes a former employee's tweets about Planned Parenthood's new mission. Quote, they still provide vital services for women, she wrote on Twitter, and anti-abortion activists will jump at any opportunity to smear them. But she went on to write, having said that, their roles in the trans activism are abhorrent and they're digging their own grave. The Planned Parenthood Clinic where she worked is located in a small town of roughly 30,000. Abortions were the clinic's, quote, bread and butter, something the employee fully supports. But she noted, quote, trans identifying kids are cash cows and they are kept on the hook for foreseeable future in terms of follow up appointments, blood work, meetings, etc. Whereas abortions are, quote, hope are hopefully in parentheses, a one and done situation. 
As Stryer said in her post, revenue statistics on Planned Parenthood's treatment of transgender patients are difficult to find and few numbers are available. The Daily Post posits that the Planned Parenthood is now one of the U.S. providers, largest U.S. providers of, quote, transgender health care. Planned Parenthood's website for Central and Western New York states, in Western New York states, quote, nationally, Planned Parenthood is the second largest provider of gender affirming hormone care. So here you go. And it's all about just uh, reproductive justice. Now it's all about what? Being able to help people find out their inner self, being able to help kids. You know, most three-year-olds, I think, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, certainly before their hit puberty, they they most always know exactly what it means to be a boy or a girl. Uh, and they, they also know if they should go on hormone treatment. I think that's I think that's easy for a nine or ten or twelve year old to figure out, really. You know? Do I need to have my breasts removed? They're starting to bud. Should I have them removed? That's easy for a fourteen year old girl to figure out. Or if you're uh you're feeling a little awkward, you know, you don't quite fit in, your your voice is changing, you don't like the hair that's coming up. Maybe you weren't meant to be a man. Maybe you're meant to be a, a woman and you're twelve or thirteen, and you're a boy. Maybe you should just have those puberty blockers. Maybe you should just have those testicles removed. You know, go on estrogen. Maybe maybe get the penis chopped off at some point. I think as a teenager, Planned Parenthood is right. These are health crises. And this is something that it's important that we, we step in as a culture and just, you know, this philanthropy has to, we have to get more philanthropy to get Planned Parenthood more money to chop off genitals and breasts and get these kids on transgender treatments when they're 14 and they still know it. They still know what's going on before it's too late. All right. Gateway Pundit. New York City to crack down on wood-fired pizza joints to reduce carbon emissions up by by up to 75%. So this is the hell on earth that is New York. God, I would never live in New York if you paid me. New York City will begin cracking down on wood-fired pizza joints to reduce carbon emissions by 75%. It says, all New Yorkers deserve to breathe healthy air and wood and coal-fired stoves are among the largest contributors of harmful pollutants in the neighborhoods with poor air quality. Department of Environmental Protection spokesman Ted Timbers said in a statement to the New York Post on Sunday, this common sense rule developed with restaurant environmental justice groups, (laughs) environmental justice, requires a professional review of whether installing emission controls is is feasible. Oh, it's a big expense, says Paul Giannone the owner of Paul Poly G's and Greenpoint. It's not just the expense of having it installed. It's the maintenance. I've got to pay someone to do it. I have to go in there every couple of weeks and hose it down. You know, the maintenance. He said he spent $20,000 on an air filter system in anticipation of the new mandate. It says here, uh, a city official said that under 100 restaurants total would be impacted. So see, there you go. Only 100 people, according to this, this uh, Stalinist official, says they're going to be impacted. So that's okay. Only 100 people. I mean, what's 100 people? Listen, this is the best part. Iconic pizzerias, iconic pizzerias known for their wood-fired pizzas, such as Grimaldi's, Arturo's, Lombardo's, and others may be exempt from the mandate. This is COVID all over again. You cannot go to the store unless it's Walmart or Target. You cannot... Uh, you know, you can only go to uh, big box stores. You cannot go to the mom and pop stores. Mom and pop stores are shut down. If you open, you will be uh, subjected to, um, you know, fines. You'll have your license removed. You'll be carted away by the cops potentially. But here we are again. Tyrannical government coming in to say, you can't have wood fired pizza unless you're these big guys and you can have it. And this think about this. This is the insanity of it. You know when the first pizza was probably cooked, you know, potentially by an Italian caveman? How long have we had wood-fired pizza or wood-fired anything? Maybe it wasn't pizza, but God almighty, the first thing that man could figure out to do is like, holy shit, I just started a fire and I put some, put some meat on it and it tastes good. That's wood-fired. And now here we are in 2023 saying that this is no longer healthy 
What in the hell is wrong with our country? My God. God help us all. Anyway, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Share with a friend if you care about freedom. If you're a liberal and you're listening, thank you for listening with an open mind. And uh, join us next time. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast, the Dr. Tommy Show, and uh, subscribe. Thank you for joining us. Until then, bye-bye.